Okay, now we're going to talk about chapter 16, um, which is how the sun creates its energy. So the sun is a fusion uh, energy source, so we're going to talk about fusion, fission, and um, where the sun's energy comes from and sort of the history of that. So I read this first part here. It talks about watt, um, which is the amount of energy coming from the sun. Um, when we were trying to explain the amount of energy coming from the sun, we knew about TNT and coal and other sources, you know, burning wood and stuff. Is that okay? So what's what's powering the sun? This was an interesting question. We didn't know what it was, and like, well, is it is it wood? Is it fire? Is it coal? What's going on out there that's burning to create all this energy? And they calculated that it should be, you know, an impos- You know, the sun should only last a hundred million years or something if it was burning something. And uh, initially, it made sense because the Earth was thought maybe it's only you know a few thousand years old, maybe it's a few million years old. Certainly not 100 million years old, but then as time went on, geologists and physicists realized that the Earth and the Sun and the whole solar system is about 4.5 billion years old. Uh, so there's no way the Sun could last that long if it was burning something. So these guys put sort of a limit on there and said, well, it can't be uh, burning. So the question of where energy comes from, we had to wait until Einstein and uh, Wolfgang Pauli and Enrico Fermi came along to explain this in the 20s and 30s, but uh, the Sun uses Einstein's equation, E equals mc squared. And you know the speed of light is a giant number. So the energy uh, coming from, um, if you have an object with a certain mass, you can harness that mass, turn it into pure energy, and the amount of energy you get is the mass times the speed of light squared. That's a huge, huge number. Um, so that's the science behind the atomic weapons, um, to turn that mass into pure energy and create these extremely massive um, uh, explosions, and that's the same as what's going on in the sun. So um, there's a little history there on Einstein. He's an interesting guy, uh, incredibly talented in terms of, and incredibly productive. You know, he just did a lot of good stuff. So anyway, elementary particles here. We have um, the nucleus of an atom. You got protons and neutrons uh, in there, and you've got electrons orbiting them. And all the chemistry on Earth is the arrangement of those protons, neutrons, and electrons. And um, so this is an interesting thing to read about here, this history. And the neutrino came along, and um, that was, we were trying to discover how, or understand how particles exchange and change into other particles, and do some early particle physics. And there was some always some leftover mass whenever there was beta decay or some other thing. Um, anytime some energy was exchanged. There was a little bit left over that we couldn't account for. We couldn't see it in the detectors. So they said, okay, well, maybe it's a particle. Let's call it the neutrino, which means little neutral one. And uh, let's hope that we can discover it. And it was observed like 50 years later or 30 years in the 50s. So like 20, 30 years later, they realized that the neutrino is real. And that's what's happening in the sun. Most of the energy is carried away in the form of neutrinos. Uh, but then we have a lot of other uh, radiation coming off the sun. So the way it works, and you can read about this here, um, is that if you if you have two hydrogen atoms, which is just a proton, that's it, and the hydrogen atoms get close to each other, protons are positively charged. When they get too close to each other, the electric uh, charge repulses. It's like two north poles of a magnet. They don't want to be next to each other. But if you can get them close enough, actually inside of a proton are quarks, and quarks like to be next to each other. So if you can overcome the repulsive force from the uh, electric force, you, let's say with a giant ball of fire that has a huge amount of gravity, 
If you can crush uh, two hydrogen atoms, combine them so that the quarks inside the protons get close enough together to fuse, and now you can turn two hydrogens into one heavy hydrogen, which means one of those protons turns into a, a neutron, and then you end up with a proton and a neutron. And then that's, this is called deuterium, and it's a heavy version of, it's an isotope of hydrogen. But you get a neutrino shooting off. And so this is the part of the fusion mechanism inside the sun called the proton-proton chain, which you need to know about. Um, the proton-proton chain is when um, you have hydrogen fusing into helium, and there's several steps. So the first step is two hydrogens fuse into deuterium. The next step is that one of those deuteriums, or heavy hydrogens, if you've if you heard about heavy water from World War II, and that's what heavy water is, is deuterium instead of instead of H two O with regular hydrogen, it's H two O two, so or H two O, but the heavy hydrogen instead of H instead of just regular hydrogen. So then, uh, if you have a heavy hydrogen and another hydrogen collide and overcome that force again, then you get um, two protons and one neutron. So this turns into helium now because helium has two protons but it's helium-3 because it only has three uh, elements in its uh, nucleus, three atoms and three um, particles in its nucleus, so you get called nucleons. So two protons, one neutron, that's he- helium-3. Now you get, eventually you get two of these helium-3s when they collide, and now you get to the real helium, helium-4. And when helium-4 is formed, you get, at each stage of this process with fusion, you have more energy released than you start with. And the difference in mass between these things, because helium-3 is lighter than helium-2 plus helium-1, that difference in mass becomes the m in E equals mc squared. So the energy released at each of those spots is the difference in those masses. And with this happening all the time, all over the place on the sun, you end up with huge amounts of energy. And again, this is called the proton-proton chain. And there it is on the bottom of page 573, showing you the steps. Hydrogen into hydrogen plus uh, neutrino flying away and an electron or positron, which is a positive version of the electron antimatter. And then you got two hydrogens going into one hydrogen, uh, H2 going into H1, becoming helium-3, and then helium-3 becoming helium-4. And that's the end of the stage, and that's where the, the sun's energy comes. So go ahead, calculate that. Put this in. This is a great uh, page right here, 574. That difference in mass there, plug that into E equals mc squared, and you see that you get a huge amount of energy. Um, uh, So this is where this comes from. This amount, the energy released when a single kilogram of hydrogen undergoes fusion, would supply all the electricity used in the United States for about two weeks. That's insane, right? That's a ton of hydrogen from one pound of water or uh, one pound of helium or hydrogen which again, you can get from water. So we always talk about using a fusion to power everything because you could just take a cup of seawater and power New York City for a week. Um, okay, so uh, that's the proton-proton chain. In higher mass stars, you, you the cycle is called the CNO cycle. Um, and we'll talk about that later when we get to um, higher mass stars. So, but you're going to have to know the difference between the proton-proton chain and the CNO cycle and when they uh, refer to different stars. Okay, then there's a tokamak story here on ITER, which is a experiment in France, which may or may not ever get built, trying to uh, conduct fusion on Earth to a do, a build a controlled star so we can actually do fusion. It's probably not going to be possible on Earth because of the uh, you get too much radiation coming off to handle, so your detector breaks apart after a while. Um, so there's just to make it uh, cost effective is 
probably not possible. All right, 16.3, the solar interior. Um, basically, the sun is a plasma, and a plasma is when the electrons aren't bound. It's hot enough that the electrons are constantly being shared around between all the uh, different nucleons. Um, so you got to be careful about being around inside a plasma because it's very hot. <laughs> okay, so the sun is stable. The gravity and the pressure are balanced at any point. So gravity is pulling the sun down to collapse it, and pressure from the, from the explosions going on in the core pushing out are balanced. That balanced is called hydrostatic equilibrium, uh, which is like fluid equilibrium, and the sun's size is its size because of its those two balances. If there were more gravity, it would be smaller. If there was less uh, mass, it would be bigger. If there was a greater explosion or pressure out, then the star would be bigger. If there was less, it would be smaller. So that tells us, the size of the star tells us those two equations, those two balance parts, um, which is kind of amazing. Um, the sun's not cooling down, continuing on. Uh, photons, they, they bounce around, and sh uh, so an energy starting in the sun takes about a million years for energy to make it out of the sun just because it's ping pinballing around inside there, bing, 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 before it gets out. And this is just a weird, you know, academic thought. Um, but so, so the energy inside takes a while to get out, but neutrinos do not. So actually neutrinos, they pass through most matter, matter which is why it was so hard for us to detect, um, without interacting, and uh, we actually see neutrinos coming from a star right before it explodes and goes supernova because the neutrinos make it out uh, before the, the star starts to pop. Um, so that's a key indication for a star about to go supernova. Okay, then 16.15, uh, visual there that's showing you, again, that's the diagram of the sun, but 16.16 is the cool idea, um, and it shows you the percent of uh, hydrogen, the uh, and you can see at the core you've got less hydrogen because we've got some uh, helium building up in the core, and then you've got the radiation radiative zone, the convective zone, and so on. Um, Sixteen seventeen shows that we can use uh, the same sort of earthquake measuring seismic waves to probe the interior of the sun. We can use that because of little Doppler sh shifts of light coming off the sun. Um, so we can do something similar to figure out the interior of the sun called helioseismology, um, and that's just like seismology on Earth to determine what the inside of the sun is made out of, uh, at least changes in density. Okay, solar neutrinos. Again, it's talking about neutrinos coming from the sun. There are several billion uh, going through your thumb right now every second. And so uh, your whole body, the whole Earth, everything is bathed in neutrinos an inconceivable amount of them, um, but uh, there is a chance that one of them will interact with your body, uh, but the odds are very, very, very low, less likely than even the muons and other things that cosmic rays that are bombarding your body every day anyway. Um, okay, but anyway, there's an example here of, of talking about how neutrinos behave um, in an experiment. Um, right now, Fermilab is building a couple more. Anyway, that's chapter 16 on uh, neutrinos and the sun.